The most important thing to recognize is that recovery is possible. If you are somewhere and you want to be somewhere else with the way that you use alcohol, you can get there. It just, what's important is to not be discouraged and to have a, a mind towards being curious about different approaches and to try them all. What made alcohol the focus for Hello Sunday Morning? What led to that? My family are big drinkers. And now having done this work, been in this work, I would say that it's on the mild range of like familial challenges with alcohol and like I have such deep empathy for people that go through really traumatic things with alcohol and I'm like oh I kind of stumbled into this area being like oh shit this is really needed for a lot of people. Everyone has the capacity to keep alcohol in their home or keep it away from them and that's a way to self-regulate. Yep. Do you think that that curiosity that you have was part of what led to the problem of using alcohol as, as a safety in the first place? Like you're curious about the sensation that you get, you're curious about being able to numb the pain. Yeah, definitely. I've tried all different things to make myself feel better. What was your journey? Let me explain my story. You're listening to another episode of Success with Purpose, where we hold conversations with the most holistically successful people we have the opportunity to connect with. We explore their journeys, their life-changing events, their perspectives, their mindset, and most importantly, their purpose. I'm Harry Goldberg, host, interviewer, and interrogator of this podcast, father of the most incredible daughter in the world, husband of an incredible woman, and director and empowerment coach at Purpose Advisory. Hope you enjoy this episode. And don't forget to subscribe and like below. Now, let's begin. All right, Chris Rain here. And so for the listeners who don't know who you are, in here's a bit of background. In 2010, founded and grew an incredible not-for-profit organization called Hello Sunday Morning, which is changing the world's relationship with alcohol. It's changed all of my clients' relationship with alcohol, and that's been amazing. In 2011, you're Young Queenslander of the Year. 2017, you're Westpac uh, Social Change Fellow. You received a Skull Scholarship in Social Entrepreneurship for your MBA at Oxford University. Uh, pretty sure that you did a TED Talk before people were actually, before anyone could just basically do a TED Talk. I think that was like 2012 or something like that. Just to myself in the mirror. <laughs> no, no, no. I've seen the recording. There were some people watching. <laughs> yeah. And so since stepping away from Hello Sunday Morning in 2020, you've been a mental health advocate as campaign director for Australians for Mental Health alcohol support advocate as co-founder and director at Clean State Clinic, as well as head of partnerships at 360 Edge. And what's been amazing about this journey is that it all started simply with you making a change in your own life and your own lifestyle, and then finding a way to share it with others. Mm -hmm. And so I, I love this journey. I love everything that you've done because you're effectively modeling self-leadership as a way to lead others, which is awesome. But welcome. And a very easy question to start with is how do you define success? Well, thanks for having me, Harry. And um, I think to answer that question with someone with the mind that I have, it's probably a daily thing on how it is that I feel in my life and the things that are happening and, and do I feel content and kind of happy with myself. Um, that's probably really important always to come back to that. And then on a larger time, frame and larger scale probably my life's my life's pur purpose is around addiction and my mission is to move rates of addiction in australia from one in 20 people that have a daily 
harmful addiction to one in a hundred. And that's through in, in like creating and building programs that support people um, to go through behavior change and recovery, and then also um, policy reforms at a, at a larger, larger scale in society. Incredible. Cool. And I've, I've got so many questions about that. And I'm sure the lot of that's going to come out of when we explore your journey either way. But you said that there's this, there's this feeling of what you're doing in your life on a, on a daily level. And so your level of content and ultimately what's making you happy. Can you expand a little bit on that? Like, how do you know if you're happy? How do you know if you're content? Um, well, I have depression. So, and you know, it's a condition that I need to manage in my life and it seems to be a, a pretty, uh, consistent bedfellow for me. So even, and I haven't had a kind of down week until this week just gone, um, probably for like six months or so. Um, so I take medication and, you know, see psychologists and psychiatrists from time to time. So, um, I, I view that my, as my recovery and my, um, way of um existing in the world is always um shadowed by that um it, it's also a great gift like i think it gives me an empathy for the work that i do and an empathy for the people that i want to work with and want to help um so yeah that i think is really important it's easy to kind of forget that in the vicissitudes of success and failure and life and you know all the um, work that we get to do but um, I always kind of come back to that and really that's a relationship with myself and how um, how I feel really, like in my mood because um, mm. uh, I want to, you know, life's worth sticking around for and I want to keep, keep sticking around to do it um, and experiencing it. So I need to take care of myself. Yeah, okay. So there's, uh, it's interesting, before you were talking about being content and happy and it's a daily thing. And now you're sharing this perspective that it's ultimately when you're not having all those negative emotions from from depression, which you're dealing with and which you're seeking help for, which sounds like in a very holistic way too. But is it more of just like, as long as you don't have any of those negatives, then it's all pretty good? Or is it something else? Uh, I think um, like there's two angles on being holistic. One is... Um, seeing oneself in a bigger picture of life and the and the different things that are important to us but also seeing the experience of life as being sometimes really light and sometimes really dark and experiencing all that and holding on both when they're really high and then when they're really low um and knowing that it's ephemeral and things will change um so i've been uh, extraordinarily lucky in the family that I have and the kind of support structure that I have and also the clinical support that I've been able to get in my life um, to give me the tools and belief um, in myself and also in my ability to um, stick it out when it is low. Um, and I think also those same things and those same experiences have meant that I've had an extraordinary life of being able to impact people's lives as well. So there, yeah, there's a holistic perspective, which is doing a bunch of different things in balance and as needed, but also a perspective, which is embracing all, all kind of moods and emotions for what they are 
and yeah, holding on. Yeah. Okay. Holding on. And, and what came up for me is what might be slightly different or might be exactly what you're saying. And that's why I'm asking, I, I think towards the, the old, the old saying of this too shall pass. Yes, thank you, thank you, Chris. I, 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 I think that's that it. Old, For yeah, real? That's, it, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even going to yeah. cut that out because there you go. Um, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm reminded of this idea of this too shall pass. So both the good times and the bad. And is that is that pretty much what you're drawing from, or is there a slight difference to it as well? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think that's a fundamental principle to live by, um, and it's it, it's an easy thing to an easy philosophy to bear when things are going really well and you feel really happy and, and on an external level um you know life is good um it's a much harder practice to put into place but probably more importantly when things aren't and that's not necessarily just an objective thing like you know it's very much a subjective experience of life um so i feel like i understand a tiny percentage of myself a lot more since i was in my early 20s and younger about my life and can understand the stories that i tell myself but those two are just stories as well and um and they're always changing and i'm always um learning more about myself but in the end i'm just like a human that's trying to make my way through it all (laughs) A human trying to make your way through it all. Maybe that'll be the title of the episode today. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's probably as good as you can get. <laughs> and so, like that, that's kind of like how you how you find that sort of the balance and the contentment and the happiness we're talking about in every day. And so that's the that's the everyday, almost like the enjoyment or enjoying the journey as best you possibly can element of success. And we've covered mm-hmm. off a lot of your achievements because you've achieved a lot more than what most people hope that they could in a lifetime. And like you're still still young either way. And other people are getting <laughs> towards the end of their careers and they're far off it, right? But then there's this other part which seems to be more related to impact, right? You, you mentioned your life purpose of moving a rate of, uh, of people who are suffering from addiction from 1 in 20 to 1 in 100. Yeah. And so like, would you be... Would you consider yourself successful if you ignored that purpose? Or does that purpose need to come into it in order to be a success as well? I think it's actually a really helpful thing for me um, to have a guiding principle um, or guiding story and narrative on how I want to spend my time in life and also acknowledging the privilege that I have to do it. Um, I think I've been really lucky in, you know, the achievements that I've had uh, have been, have also come through a lot of luck of like, you know, where I was born, the privilege that I had, the education mm-hmm. that I got, um, the color of my skin, a lot of factors that I didn't choose led to the achievements um, or experiences of achievement that I've had in life. And I think that, um, yeah, it doesn't, um, what what i've found in my life is that when i haven't got that that kind of core narrative around what the my purpose is i haven't done as well i think like so it's it's more helpful to have a kind of impossible task that is 
not solvable in my lifetime or unlikely to be solvable in lifetime for me to tinker away at and work with people on and guide the things that I say yes and no to. Um, it's part of, you know, kind of part of my own recovery in its own way too. Wow. So you pick a goal, which is almost impossible to achieve. And it's for you, it's the mere fact of pursuing that goal and pursuing that objective that's giving your life purpose. Yeah, I think that's probably pretty much it. And there's a, um, you know, it's almost like perhaps trying to pick the healthiest ego one can have, um, you know, and try and try and build that. Like if my life is about, um, you know, if I were to die tomorrow and I'm working on this goal that's beyond my reach um, and I'm working every day on it and I'm doing, you know, kind of building partnerships and um, developing programs and um, exploring that and being curious about it. It's kind of, it's a, it's a passion that really helps. But at the end of the day, um, and I know, and this is sort of the cliff over the sort of coral bombing, like into the deep waters is that that also doesn't really matter as well. Like, um, but it's, I think I'm a better person for having it, um, and for not peering over the edge into, um, into nothingness too much. Um, it does help me wake up and do the work that I do and, um, and care for what I care about. And so that's been really important for me. Um, and has changed over time. Um, and there's been different periods. Like when I left Hello Sunday morning, I wondered whether I wanted to keep working in addiction or alcohol and drug space and, um, you know, mental health. And I found that period quite, um, important to go through hard, but also quite, um, relieving to come back into it and go, okay, I still really care about this and I still want to do work in this way. But um, probably helpfully, it was nice because before I left Hello Sunday morning, it was a real need, like I needed it. Um, I didn't know, like, you know, from my early 20s, it was like I was always talk, telling my story and always doing this stuff. But then there was a break where I didn't need to do that anymore. And now I'm picking up those things again um, and perhaps coming full circle into it with um, a kind of greater alacrity, but at the same time, a less identification with it, which is kind of a bit of a paradox, but um, it seems to be working pretty well. Well, how does that paradox work for you? Well, I think the paradox is that um, the idea that actually nothing really matters that much like you know and this too shall pass the conclusion of that is that well nothing really that you do makes a difference and at the same time everything that we do makes a difference in its own little way and they're two opposing um ideas that i think you know one will never fully reconcile or no i won't um but i'll be intrigued by it you know till the end of my days Reminds me of um, the the this world. It's all about you, and not at all about you at the exact same time. That's a good way of putting it. It's uh, yeah, that's exactly the paradox. Um, and I like yeah, 
love it's funny talk like having these conversations these meta conversations about your life when you do podcasts like this like and you you perhaps think about things a bit you know you look at it different you look at your life and what it's about um and you know helpful in in small doses i think <laughs> for someone like me anyway <laughs> in small doses all right don't well, think about we'll it have, too much to make this a shorter conversation then <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, otherwise it will feel like a therapy session got it oh so, man i'm all about therapy big time love it cool all right so maybe and, and we could explore that too but maybe let's let's take a a few steps or a few decades back what was your journey maybe start kind of like with your upbringing how you grew up that privilege which you kind of grew into and then how you ended up facing some of the challenges which got you on the path you're on well let me tell you um like speaking about therapy like i and if you have the resources and um, inclination and problems like mine doing a year of psychoanalysis or um you know really investing in understanding that story it was one of the best things that I ever did. Um, so I did that. And so let me explain my story from the perspective of where I came to in through that process. Okay. Um, so I was born in Queensland. Um, you know, my family were, you know, my, both my parents are GPs. Um, my mum, uh, um, you know, she hadn't, she had a pretty, kind of challenging childhood with her mother leaving leaving kind of their family and kind of developing you know a bit of an abandonment complex which then I've kind of inherited in my life and then my parents broke up when I was young so I was like in like kind of eight or nine or something like that and so I always um, kind of had two things which is a fear of being abandoned and also a need to achieve to um, you know to win my father's approval and so, um, you know, working through therapy, it sort of explored these different issues and how they played out, not just in my relationships, but also like in my intimate relationships, um, but also in my work and how I, you know, needed to go out and parent the world by building something like Hello Sunday Morning to make myself feel better. Um, and it's not to discredit the work that Hello Sunday Morning did and does, but definitely there was a lot of... Um, myself into it and my need to um understand that and i think probably um the best thing about doing a lot of kind of deeper psychoanalysis and therapy is that um you tell these stories over and over again and you have relationships with people and the same thing happens um, you know i fear abandonment or i want people to love me for my achievements constantly until the point that i had in therapy where um yeah, you know, I was telling, you know, my therapist this, these stories in a different manner and he was like starting to yawn. I was like, <laughs> this is really boring me too, like just telling the story over and over and over again. But it's the only way I think to get to a point where you become bored of your own narrative and like how you're a victim in the world and how the world should, you know, change towards you. And so similarly it's a bit of a paradox like that is my story like you know where i've come from and why i've done what i've done um you know why i'm interested in it and um it still is my story but it also isn't you know in a way and it's also my responsibility to have it and, and tell it and um and so 
that's kind of been my journey. Um, what's interesting now is the work that I'm doing before, before I did, before I started Hello Sunday Morning, I wanted to build things outside the medical model because, you know, I wasn't a doctor, I wasn't, you know, but I wanted to do it, have a bigger impact by like kind of um, rebelling really. And then um, ended up having to retrofit a lot of the clinical practice into Hello Sunday Morning in the end and, and res was really resistant to that. Whereas now I've kind of come to peace with my parents in a much bigger way and feel very grateful to them and no longer need to, um, you know, put my story on them as to who I am and why I do what I do. It's all me now. Like it's my, I'm an adult. Um, and what I'm finding is actually, I'm really drawn to working with clinicians. So all my work, um, the principle of what I have is that I work with clinicians that have really deep expertise in particular issues. And my job is to make their work great and build them up and, um, build out their work with the skills that I've acquired. Um, so it's a it's a bit of a full circle there um and you know so those stories still exist and still drive me but just in different ways and maybe and i hope with less um less of a unconscious bias way that they are something that i fully explored but have command over amazing and it's so much more it's so much more committed to the purpose rather than just about you. It's like when when I hear people really struggling with public speaking or being able to be confident in sharing their story with a whole bunch of people, the thing which will always, or almost always, at least in my experience, always get people out of their out of their head in, oh my God, what if I stuff it up and what if I do terrible stuff? It's not about you. Are you going yeah. up there just to talk for you or are you going out there to be able to share your story with others? And it, it sounds yeah. like that's exactly what you've just started doing or what you've been doing. Another, another, um, just on that particular one, like, um, I was doing a lot of kind of public speaking when I was the CEO at Hello Sunday morning and, um, and was still seeing my therapist as I was leaving it. And I like, we get so worked up about giving presentations or like big things. And, and my thing with it was I needed it to be a home run every time. Like I needed it. I expected standing ovations. I expected people to love me for it and be like, you know, adulated and stuff like that. And my therapist once goes to me and this profoundly changed my life. He's like, sometimes you're going to get up on stage and do a talk or go to a party and say something. And you might expect a standing ovation, but people were just going to go, <laughs> and you get off the stage and that's it. And so I just see every time before I go out to do a presentation or a big moment, I just think it could be just that, you know, like just another experience that you have in life that is just like all the other experiences and it's okay, you know, like you're not going to die. Like it's, it's all right. And that makes me smile and I like always think about that before doing something like that and it's it's all good you know like it doesn't there's nothing that important about it um and that i think for my particular psychology was really helpful because now I just it's it's these experiences are much more playful than stressful mm. yes it, it's important to have some play in the world right and i guess that that's what happens when you get a little bit out of yourself and just step away 
and so, totally. totally. And so what what made alcohol the focus for Hello Sunday morning? What led to that? It's a bit of a confluence of things. Um and still is like so I still drink now. Um and uh you know, kind of take extended breaks or cut back or just have an ongoing relationship with alcohol in my life. Um, but a lot of the people that are in Hello Sunday Morning um, that the organisation support are like in proper so sober recovery. Um, so it's an ongoing kind of grey area for me that's always um, kind of being managed. Um, but to sort of go back to the beginning, um, you know, I was 22 I just worked as a nightclub promoter um, in, you know, my university days. Drinking was a big part of my life. Um, And I was working in an advertising agency at the same time. And this was 2007. And um, the Rudd government wanted to focus on youth binge drinking. So the agency that I was working at had to come up with a campaign that was focused on youth binge drinking. And they're like... It was like my professional world, my personal world sort of combined where I was like, actually, I don't know what piece of communication meaningfully changed the way I drink. Like, I don't know if anything would really. Like, it's so culturally ingrained. And that, I kind of pulled on that thread a bit and I was like, I'd be really interesting, interested to do a research project where I just stopped drinking for a year to understand through by virtue of drinking a lot to then drinking nothing, what do I miss out on like as an experiment? And as a way of holding myself accountable to that experiment, I wrote a weekly blog that came out on Sunday morning. Um, it was called Hello Sunday Morning. Um, that was like, you know, I'd use the time that I'd normally be hung over to write this kind of interesting reflection on um, the good stuff, that comes from not drinking and changing that, but also the hard stuff, which isn't kind of commonly talked about, like how it changes your friendship circles and your dating life and, you know, your levels of anxiety and all this stuff that, you know, I definitely relied on alcohol and, and to an extent still do. Um, and that was, uh, you know, that was what it was meant to be. That was it. Like it was just going to be an interesting research project at the advertising agency and, then I just, I don't know, go on working. But it just grew a lot of steam and picked up some media and then became like a really interesting cultural um, perspective. And then um, other people were like, oh, we'd want to do that too and kind of share our stories. And then it became like a little community and then turned into a nonprofit. And then it just kind of grew from that. Um, Most people expect I had... I mean, I have my family are big drinkers um, and now having done this work and been in this work, I would say that it's on the mild range of like familial challenges with alcohol and like I have such deep empathy for people that go through really traumatic things with alcohol and I'm like, oh, I kind of stumbled into this area being like, oh shit, this is really needed for a lot of people more than it is for me and my family. Um, but by virtue of just kind of, walking into it and doing something a bit interesting that interest and passion and curiosity grew and i think um it it's not like you know 
necessarily was like love at first sight in a way or like trauma at first sight where I had this bad thing happen to me and I knew this is what I needed to fix in the world. It's sort of been more of a progressive thing over time. And then I've kind of come to fall in love with this um, challenge, which is how we use drugs and how we become addicted to things in, in our lives. And um, I think that it's, it's a really complicated um challenging thing but i think i've come to realize that actually there's a lot there's a lot of people out there that you know are asking for need better support for it and there's a lot of things that we can fix in terms of policy reform that actually would mean that a lot fewer people were addicted from the beginning um and so that kind of narrative drives my life today so it's been a a real progress um, to get to that point and it's always evolving. Yeah, and that, that last point which you're making about prevention rather than recovery, is prevent is recovery that much harder than prevention from your experience? It's it's like that, um, I can't remember who said it when they, um, I think it might have been Piaget, like about what, you know, how much is nature and how much is nurture and he said it's like the, the length and width of a field like it's so you can't have one without the other you know like mm-hmm. i think we need both um things to help people recover like and we need things that help people like prevent the necessity for it um at the same time and um that's why my work is focused on both those twin areas um and so i think um it, it's a it's an illusion to think that oh, if we just focused on prevention that these problems wouldn't exist at all actually systematically they definitely would and so we need both we need yeah the, those reforms to happen to to change it but also those things will only happen if people who have the problem can actually help themselves or get the support they need to change it so yeah both are important so i mean what what's the what's the overall solution? Like, it, I know that's a really broad question. And you're like, yeah, it's just it's yeah. just uh, like it's really complex. I'm like, really, you're not going to give me a two minute answer? How to stop drinking? But I mean, like, I've I've seen so many people struggle with alcohol and other drugs as well, but especially with alcohol. And some people like AA is really helpful, but only as long as they're going. And other people will talk about how. AA is completely useless and worthless and they feel completely judged when they're there. And some people talk to their GP and the GP will prescribe some meds which will make them throw up whenever they're drinking. Other people speak to the GP yeah. and they're like, yeah, you got to go see a therapist. And so there's no like clear line of sight. There's no clear way to handle the addiction because everyone has different experiences with every approach and every approach gives different things to different people. And so... yeah. So do you want to try and unpack that complexity a little bit? I would say um, the most important thing to recognize is that recovery is possible. Like if you are somewhere and you want to be somewhere else with the way that you use alcohol, you can get there. Um, it just, what's important is to not be discouraged and to have a, a mind towards being curious about different approaches and to try them all and um, you know, go on a, a journey with your own life on where you want to go and know that also when you get there, maybe you'll go back and then you'll go back again. And, you know, that's the 
inevitable nature of life. So what, um, you know, really there are, there are so many different things out there. And I think the, the gap that Hello Sunday Morning and the program Daybreak fills is that it is kind of like a community support, um, you know, kind of like AA in your phone if you need that kind of support when you're going through a really tough time, particularly in the early days of changing, um, to be validated in that change and feel like we're social beings, so we need that validation. So it's a really important part that you also get from AA if you um, are there and perhaps have more of a kind of spiritual view of alcohol as being just an absolute no-no and, you know, you're never going to drink again um, and you need that commitment. So it really depends on the individual and what they want. Um, from a larger structural level, I my philosophy is that I think no nothing that has a form of harmful addiction should be should have a, a license to advertise or brand. I think that things that are addictive and harmful should be accessible, but hard to get, um, and um, and ought to exist within a different commercial model that they exist so that um, because when they're really accessible, I think it's easy for us to pick them up really quickly. So I think that's where um, policy reforms and um, and even take, for example, cigarettes, the price of cigarettes has gone up significantly. And I think to a point where now um, they're seizing, like the Home Affairs Office is tracking seizures of illegal uh, nicotine, um, tobacco. So like that price point is the right price point where a black market is actually formed and law enforcement should really focus on on that as the problem and regulating that because things like cigarettes should be priced at that point because that's the level of harm that they have and they should have a difficulty, they should be difficult to access. And I think anything um, that has harmful addiction, whether it be um, you know, nicotine, alcohol, gambling, perhaps even social media ought to have that level of regulation um, around them. And that's where a lot of work needs to be done. So it's not a simple, like from an individual perspective, my advice would be like have faith and, you know, know that your recovery is possible. From a social perspective, in terms of the society we want to leave the next generation, there are a lot of reforms that actually do make meaningful change in the rates of addiction and, and they need to, they need to happen and come into play too. Yeah. And what, what, That's what not I really heard a two minute answer. No, it wasn't, it wasn't a two minute <laughs> answer. And I'm, I'm still trying to unpack it. But I mean, what yeah. I'm, what I'm ultimately hearing is you're saying that everyone needs to take more responsibility for themselves and for society at large take more responsibility in how we influence government uh, for policy, take more responsibility in how we choose to act, take more responsibility in how we support others. And when you, when you said regulation is a necessity, well, I, I started hearing, I started hearing that self-regulation, like social media, for example, you can, anyone has the capacity to turn off notifications from their phone, everyone. And that's a way to self-regulate. Everyone, everyone has the yeah. capacity to keep alcohol in their home or keep it away from them. Everyone has that capacity. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's, um, yeah. I mean, the paradox with like individual choice and individual responsibility is also like 
having been kind to yourself and recognizing that we are a drug taking society like we do use um drugs to exist in the world we wouldn't probably many of us wouldn't be alive without them um or have what we have without them so it's you know sobriety is kind of an illusion um and um and in saying that also taking responsibility having breaks from things and you know constantly changing and be curious about different relationships with the things that we are drawn to and addicted to and finding different ways to lessen that addiction through different activities then i think that's you know that is a path to happiness in life like so um i yeah would would strongly advocate um that individual responsibility for sure you've used the term curiosity have curiosity be curious quite a few times do you, it's and it sounds like that's part of your personality as well. Do, do you think that that curiosity that you have, have was part of what led to the problem of using alcohol as as a safety in the first place? Like you're curious about the sensation that you get. You're curious about being able to numb the pain. Yeah, definitely. I think. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I've tried, you know, all different things to make myself feel better um and or to change my mood um i think that like being on antidepressants is like super help sorry about my cat is wow why now why now (laughs) it's not Um, not too loud on our side i think (laughs) okay um yeah like i think that yeah, it definitely is in my nature for sure. Um, just in the same way that I'm probably, you know, I'm curious about doing meditation retreats and curious about like doing fitness challenges and different things that edge me into understanding my mind differently. And I'm a strong advocate for trying these things out to learn that the challenge is being honest about when those things become a crutch or we depend on them. Um, and that is the, that is the big question. Uh, and that kind of sounds like you, you balance out curiosity with intention as well. It's not just curious just for the sake of whatever comes up, but it's with intention of improving your life or feeling better like what you spoke about. Yeah. But also like if you take things too far, like, um, you know, that's where a lot of the love and poetry and comedy comes from as well. Like to not take yourself too seriously and have a laugh at yourself. Um, so there's value in, in kind of extending it beyond what's reasonable too. Uh, yeah, well, that's that's interesting. And maybe I wasn't expecting this to come up at all, but maybe that's a, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how we know where that limit is. Because there are people who really test those boundaries. And the first name that comes to mind is someone like Robin Williams. Really tested all those boundaries, yep. had so much fame and love for it and accolades. And he was incredible. He was possibly the best person, like probably one of the best in the world at being able to, change people's emotions and change their states and being able to help them feel incredible. And it was only because he tested yeah. all those boundaries, like what you're talking about, but it didn't end up too well for him, did it? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a, it, yeah, it's a hard one to talk to, like, um, to not know someone's individual kind of mental landscape and, um, and like, I think 
I look at Robin Williams as someone I'd have no idea. I mean, I met his son actually. He came gave a, a talk at one of our recent events, and yeah. um, so on, only through him have you know some kind of sense of that life experience. But what a life, you know, like what a what a um, would you know is the point? Would you would you advise someone not to fully express <laughs> themselves and form those you know ideas and tempt? you know, all the things that they did. I mean, from my little understanding of his life, he went through a whole lot of, um, you know, different kinds of addiction, but then also different kinds of recovery and sobriety as well. And, you know, that's a full life. And, um, you know, his life ended um, at his own hands, um, you know, and and that's, uh, you know, a loss um, for him and for his family but in a in a life of richness like that i think it's you have to appreciate the beauty of what he did bring into the world because it as he said like pretty incredible um his ove of of work is amazing and so then what i'm hearing you say is it's not just about our own responsibility uh to ourselves and our actions and supporting others with taking the actions that we think is right but there's also this level of empathy which you which you carry around, which most people are probably just ignorant to, right? Um, yeah, um, I mean, you can connect with anyone, like um, on some level. Like, I think that sometimes it's for a lot of people. With particularly, I think if people have done a lot of therapy or have done a lot of self, had the privilege of doing a lot of self reflection, it's really easy to connect with them because there's a lot of ground you can kind of hold on to and talk about things. But, um, I don't know. I have a, have a deep faith in all human beings as being like, there's parts of them that are amazing. And in fact, sometimes I really love when I talk to someone that, you know, perhaps hasn't done all that kind of work or that exploration and you open up something in them that they, you know, they don't feel comfortable sharing with a lot of people. And that for me is like a real moment where you, you know, see something that um, it's a real gift, you know, like, and, and so I think I love, I love those moments. Like it's sort of, um, yeah, I really enjoy having those experiences with people that, um, yeah, like it's a real privilege to, to do that. Beautiful. And you'd have had so many opportunities to, to do that as well, given your line of work, even though you never intended to to actually do any of the clinical practice. You didn't even intend to do this, right? Yeah. It still kind of started as a mistake by you just doing something and just kind of snowballed into it. Did you, did you say steak? Sorry? No, I'm sorry, that was a joke. <laughs> um, no, but like it, it was kind of just yeah, like a mistake, was. right? Um, almost, and just by accident. And you've ended up being able to have this gift of uh, those moments which you refer to. Man, it's a wonderful life. Like I pinch myself. Um, I feel like I found my like little kind of niche you know like in the same way i think if you have like a person that was really passionate about woodwork and they just make wood you know or vincent van gogh like just painted even though there was no real outcomes i think i'm lucky that i'm like rewarded and kind of in like 
um, given credit for and given a lot of opportunities because of what I'm really passionate about. And I think it's like, it's a natural thing. I really love what I do and, um, and I feel super lucky to get to do it. Um, and, and be who I am. Like it's a, I'm pretty, um, pretty stoked. I can see that smile on your face too, for anyone who's listening and not watching. And so, and so kind of you've, as, as part of this process, you didn't kind of just fall into this person who has the opportunity to share your message and to be able to help people even in one-on-one a lot of the time, I imagine, but you kind of ended up in a leadership role and you started out with just this blog and then a whole bunch of other people started sharing as well. And so it became this online community rather than, I guess, if you set out to do this originally, you probably would have created a resource center rather than a community to start with. And, yeah. and so you ended up taking this leadership role of this movement. And what have, what have been some of the key lessons you've learned there? Well, I mean, that wasn't by design. Like I remember the, the first person that, you know, I was doing my blog for probably like six months of, of the year. And then the first person that was like, my housemate at the time was like, Oh, I'd like to do it. And I was like, nah, man, this is my thing. Like, <laughs> like, I felt really offended um, that he wanted to like kind of cramp my style. And then he managed to convince me that it was a good thing. And I'm really happy that it did because then one happened and then I was like, Oh wow. Like you can see the, the potential with the multitude of voices um, as being a much more interesting thing than just one person. And then it just sort of grew and grew um and i like leadership i think is an interesting thing too like i don't think i was a i still many things i'm not very good at in terms of leadership um but over you know 10 years of being a ceo and then now in the other work that i'm doing um i think it's sort of hard fought lessons um having to fire people having to change things having to have difficult conversations and all that stuff is just really like it was a real training ground for um the kind of sweet spot that i've found with my work now which is small teams um working with people that i really respect and um our skills complement each other and have a much better sense of that now and it feels like it's much easier to work um and lead those teams and to follow in those teams too um you know, when I'm not the CEO and I really, yeah, I love it. Um, and it's so needed like to be a good leader. It's like a, um, it's like being a good father or mother, like you're a good parent really. Um, there's so many parallels, I think. Um, and yeah, there's, there's, there are really good ways of being a parent and there are really poor ways like, and it makes a difference and the family feel it like, so it's a it's a yeah good thing to be can you there's so much to unpack in what you just shared but uh especially on that last point being a great leader is like being a great parent or a terrible leader like being a terrible parent what do you mean by that yeah well i think it sort of comes back to like the sort of year of psychoanalysis that i did that sort of and so i have that lens i see most things uh from a familial lens like you know particularly if you have sort of traumas from your past from or like that you think you have around um uh like you know abandonment or um kind of parental issues so that's easy for me to look at um 
work environments in that kind of familial structure. Um, and, you know, and also my therapist kind of drove that home with me in, over that year. Like, so when I was leaving Hello Sunday morning, for example, he's like, you should leave the organization the way you wish you, your father had left your family. Mm. And that struck home for me because I was like, oh, like I didn't like what happened, you know, when my parents split up was really, I didn't understand it. I didn't know it wasn't like communicated to me in a way and perhaps I was just too young to really understand it but so I was like I over communicated why I was leaving and when I was leaving and I that was really helpful for me to think about um you know that kind of transition in that way and I feel like I did a good job of succession um like with that view in mind and then I see um like in you know being a parent is universal. Like he, he, everyone has one, um, you know, and their presence or non-presence impacts our life. And um, if someone gives you the privilege of working for you or working with you and you are the one that's making decisions on where the organization's going or you're the one that's raising the funds for it or you're the one that's being a leader in it, it's a real privilege to be that parent and you can use that power tyrannically or you can use that power to lift people up and lift them out beyond the organization and that's how i see really great leadership um and i yeah i really like i think with the teams that i work on i try and um you know do my best to play that play that role as best i can to um to yeah be a good daddy <laughs> i think um and in a in a you know or in friendships i think as well folks we all sort of fall down and when a good friend i think and even good partner um you know plays a parental role at different points in your life when you need to be taken care of and and similarly it goes the other way like when when they need taken care of that you can you, you show up for them and you're there for them and like in a meaningful way. Um, and all life goes like that. I think that's my own kind of little lens on the world anyway. Beautiful. I mean, it's, um, uh, what I, what I'm really hearing when you share it is like, uh, we have, we have a lot of clients that come to us and they end up going like to Pep's advisory and they help saying, Oh, I just kind of got to grow up in this area of my life. Like that's that's literally the verbatim that a lot of surprisingly huge number of people have, have used, whether it's with finances or if it's with making big life decisions or whatever. It's like, no, I think it's just time that I grow up, that I make proper decisions for myself, that I be intelligent about it. And I also find that a lot of people will, by default, try and refer to their parents for how they can learn. But people with more of a growth mindset will refer to professionals. And or even if it's not yeah. professionals, just surround themselves with the right people. They have to pay for them, or find mentors, or just find great friends, a better circle of people. And that's that's fundamental. Yeah, that's good advice. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. I mean, I'm, an, I'm my friends give me shit for this because I'm a mentor accruer. Like I've probably like ten different mentors in my life, and this is there's a familiar feeling that I get when I meet someone that I'm like, Oh, you're kind of the character that I'd like to have when I'm 50 or 60 or 70. 
Um, and in a way they're all like, you know, different mother and father figures. Um, and there was a time when I probably, you know, probably from 20 sort of one to 31 ish where I, you know, was really drawn away from my parents cause I had to kind of put to rest the stories that I told myself about like how I was hard done by. And then now like actually come, you know, my thirties, I've come back to be much better friends with my parents in their own particular way and, and really appreciate the kind of infrastructure that they gave me that made me who I am. Um, so now I've got both, you know, I've got this great suite of mentors that are play like parental role in my life, like in different ways, particularly in, in work, um, and in love and friendship. And, um, and then I also have this, you know, the OGs too. Um, and it's, it's a really nice place to be, but I think sort of uh, my advice to your listeners is if you haven't kind of made peace or forgive your parents, like it's the best thing you can do only you can do it and really the only way you do it i think is through um in sort of intentional therapy or different you know going through a process to do it well and you you mentioned this because a lot of people um who i've spoken to i'm guessing a lot of people who are listening to this maybe if they knew it before hearing this or or if this conversation hopefully plants that seed and helps them realize uh they don't have great relationships with their parents and they they struggle to meet their needs while also meeting the needs of their parents and what you just shared there is sounds critical that you took some time withdrawing away from them before you could come back to them and reconnect yeah i think probably the important steps are like one you have to get um yeah find a third party to help you do that well then I think there's a process of like, yeah, telling that story as, as often and as long as you need with that third person until it gets boring and you realize it's your own story. Then I think there's a process of kind of having it out with each of your parents in their own way, like really asking tough questions about why and what happened and um, in a safe way. And I also actually saw a therapist with my mom and my sister together and that was also really you know, useful and had different kind of experience with my dad. Um, and then, you know, that might happen a few times where you like kind of put the past in the past and, you know, put those stories to bed where you're no longer insatiably curious about why, what happened. And then I think you slowly come to forgive them, um, or forgive the story that you tell about them. And, you know, it's a never ending thing. Like, um, even this last week, my mom and I, I'm, I'm with my, my mom's house at the moment in Caloundra and I, you know, haven't spent a lot of my adult life back here, um, at all. And, you know, we were together and probably, and when I was like really low this week, it was really shit for her because I'm an asshole and I'm really grumpy and like, it's not, I'm not a good person to be around when I do get low and, um, not a very fun person. And um and she kind of like it obviously affected her as well and then you know a the couple of days ago we were able to talk about it in a way that was really pr productive like you know um 
and kind of come to an understanding about like what I'm going through and like and not about her and also how like we would like to communicate better together and that's man to be able to do that with like for anyone to do that with a parent or parental figure with a boss or whatever like it's a real gift and and I'm like I'm really grateful to have someone like her that's open to that like um but I think it does take a lot of work and I think if, if um yeah like often I'll talk to people and ask them like have you forgiven your parents like just randomly and like people will either say yeah 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 like and I and like if they haven't gone through a, a similar journey like that I wonder whether they still are holding on to resentments that aren't quite clear yet um because I think everyone has to go through that experience. I don't know. Have you gone through that? Um, What's your experience been like? I was... So my, my journey is in 2016, I recognized I was living my life with a belief of you live and you die, so what's the point? And when you when you walk around with that kind of mindset, um, like for me, it was actually really positive. Well, it was positive in the tangible materialistic sense because I'm like, you know, you live and you die. What's the point? Just have the nice things and do what you got to do and put more effort into into work so you can have the nice suit, nice tie, nice car, nice watch, nice whatever and, and have that kind of fun. It was all ego-driven, but probably because of the gift of uh, secure attachment when I was growing up, uh, it was it kind of manifested itself in a more productive way or a less negative way, I guess we could say. And I was really fortunate as part of that personal development journey, like that trigger, which changed it to life short, make the most of it, to start going to a whole bunch of seminars and reading a whole bunch of books and doing a whole bunch of things. And I was, the nature of my conversations with my parents definitely changed off the back of that. I don't know when I'm releasing this, but they'll, they'll eventually hear this conversation, which will be quite nice. I, I think they'll agree with me. Uh, and they, uh, I would be no longer just kind of talking about how to make more money or what my successes are or whatever, or trying to like just some sort of like egoic kind of conversations. It'd be more based on how can we improve our lives? How can we do things better? How can we confront the challenges or the concerns we have for each other or for ourselves? Um, and how can we open up a lot better? I think what, what really triggered that change, though, was I somehow managed to convince my dad to come along to a personal development seminar, which was like six mm. or seven days or something. And he came along to it. My wife was there as well. Uh, I also had a close friend there, too, at the same time. And it was really beautiful because there were, there were some amazing conversations that we were able to have. Like, we were staying in the same apartment as well. And so there were some great conversations mm. we'd be able to have when going down to the beach in the morning and by the water and or just being able to eat breakfast on the on the balcony while we're while we're just able to have these chats and kind of unpack a lot of the stuff which is going on and what we've explored and from a common common kind of thing. It's, it's kind of like when you're having the common experience, like you, you shared that going to a therapist with your mum and your sister was really helpful because you all have that common mm. experience that you're able to all relate to and all connect over. Mm. And I suspect that all the challenges we have with our parents and probably with ourselves because of the stories we tell ourselves as a result of the upbringing, as a result of the relationships we have with our parents, uh, is primarily because of our, um, just because of the quality of connection we have. If we've had a lot of 
poor quality connection uh, or misguided connection, then we're going to struggle to feel really connected and have those beautiful experiences. But if we have intentionally, if we intentionally set more beautiful connection, then we'll tend to have more beautiful relationships is my guess. Yeah, definitely. And like, well, also I think if you can go along to any kind of personal development thing or therapy with your parents, like it's the best, like, I mean, and you see it having done a lot of that stuff, like when, um, you know, fathers and sons or fathers and daughters or, you know, parents and their children go to, um, go to that. Like, it's a really, like, it's such a good way to spend your time for like the little bit of time that you're in that environment. They're all good. And I think, um, you know, that is a really powerful part of our lives that, um, you know, spirituality or religion or personal development or like anything that is uh, an intentional kind of process to, you know, bring people together under some reflective experience is so good. Like, and it, it fast tracks a lot of that, you know, it's an environment that fast tracks a lot of that. So it's really, um, really quite, um, yeah, it's good advice, you know, like it, it's always a good thing. Well, it comes back to exactly um, what you were saying before. It's about how much intention you have. And so you can be curious, but be curious with intention. You can wake up every day, but wake up every day with intention. And then you're going to get better outcomes, yeah. right? Yeah, totally. Totally. I think my, my dad and I, um, we did, uh, like he actually did a personal development course and I was in a bad way and, and he like paid for me to go and do it when I was, so like in that way we have that connection, you know, like he kind of did that. Um, and then I really went like hook, line and sinker into it as you often end up doing, like kind of joining cults and sucking it all up and like being a true believer, you know? Um, and so I did that. And, um, and now what's interesting is our relationship is like the, the bond that we have, um, is like we play golf together and we watch rugby together and like you know it's really but it's really special you know like we've sort of we've also had like really hard conversations with each other but like it's a real um there's a i used to find the lack of depth um like a real like, you know, he doesn't understand me and he should understand me. I'm going to prove to him, you know, kind of thing. And now it's like this real peaceful, um, just sort of, you know, special relationship that we have. You know, sometimes we put expectations on each other, but 90% of the time it's just a really nice, like good, solid relationship. And, um, you know, I think a lot of that work was meant that that could happen. Yeah, and it sounds like the actual physical things you did together and the circum and the situations you're in didn't actually change that much. It was just the the stories you're telling about yeah. each other that changed, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's so true. Actually, like, um, yeah, that's it's so um, it's so interesting that that like that that is very true. It's a good observation, and yet so much has happened as well. Like, you know, so much of those stories have happened too. And so you keep talking about feeling like you're a parent or being a parent, intentionally being a parent in every area of your life, uh, except for not having your own kids, right? So is, yeah. is it because you yeah. don't feel the need 
to have kids now that you're already a pretty much a parent in every role in your life? Or is there something else? I think that's part of it. Um, I think, um, yeah, I, feel, I don't feel like, I mean, so my parents remarried and I got lots of like, I got 13 siblings, wow. um, you know, in the kind of whole like steps and halves and everything. So like, and 80% of them have had kids um, and multiple kids. So they're like, oh, what? <laughs> they, you got, you know, 20 um, nieces and nephews, like, and like I'm the second youngest. So I'm sort of, there's probably a few thoughts I've had about having my own children. Um, I've like definitely flirted with it with um, partners that I've had. And I think, you know, doing it in partnership would be an awesome experience. Um, it's not like, and I, the other sort of thought that I've had is like seeing my mum and the kind of like, um, undying, unwavering love that she has for me and my sister. Um, I'm like, it's like someone explaining their own, you know, their passion for cycling to you. Like, I'm like, you know, like I don't have that. I know what my passion is like, and but I don't have that real need to have kids and raise them like some people really have which i like you know and i see to my mum, and i'm so um appreciative of that for me um and so yeah so it's an interesting thing and then yeah to your point i also feel like i like being an uncle and being a parent you know a kind of um strange parent in in different parts of my life and so i feel fulfilled in that way and but you never know, like, um, you never know that might change, um, in my life, but it's not something that I'm consciously trying to change. And thank you for sharing that as well. And so, so you, we were talking about parenting, awesome segue, because we we're focusing on leadership and you've spoken about how yeah. you've had bouts of, uh, well, periods of time of difficulty or frustration with mental health and with yeah. alcohol and with all addictions. Yeah. So. But yeah. on Sunday morning under under ultimately your leadership has has become this incredible, incredible community and resource. And so how did you keep it together or keep it together enough for ten years to get it to where it got to? Oh, well <laughs> I wouldn't say I kept it together. Um like I think, you know, the reason it is what it what it is, um I mean, the reason that it has been successful, um, one is that it started um, with a real, like a really great name and a really good message and a really interesting thing and a really in- interesting story in the beginning. And that inception kind of really helped it through the years. Um, two, I think I was really lucky that I had a, a partner in um, Hello Sunday Morning who became the general manager, um, a guy called Jamie Moore. And our skills really complemented each other well. So, and when we went through tough times, we stuck together, and we were an incredible core team for that development. And um, and there's like a real, really strong brotherhood that I was able to build. Um, and then the third thing was sort of having the end in mind. I think um, coming back, uh, doing an MBA, and coming back and wanting to go through a succession process before like build it up 
financially and clinically in a way that I could leave it um, then became like sort of my five-year goal after doing my MBA. And and so, um, you know, that was really important um, to see it thrive beyond my involvement in it. Um, so there were three things that really, I think, made it successful. Um, and I think along the way, man, there's so many like, and I, you know, wrote about this in a blog about all the shit things that happened, like firing people, the board trying to fire me, like all the stuff that happens in startups, like or in in life, um, and I think that, um, you know, so I don't know that I kind of kept it together all the time, like, um, but I think I've tried my best to be honest about my self and. Sometimes I, you know, wish I was more evangelical about sobriety. It would be easier um, to to do what I'm doing. But I'm like just fucking human too. Like I love using different drugs, and I feel like I've got my like need to, um, you know, manage my own mental health through the use of things like antidepressants. And I drink coffee every day, and like I still drink, and there's not. Um, there's not a squeaky clean aspect to myself, um, but I'm always trying to do better and um, be true to myself and be a better person for who I am. Um, and I f- would have hoped that, like, I hope that in at the end of the, at the end of the time, like that that's still always going to come through. Like that is who I am. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I can I can give testament to that already that I've had. Um one client one coaching client I, I never intended to coach people with alcohol and it's it's only been whenever it's come up it's never something i've searched for uh but one client especially he was saying he doesn't doesn't appreciate aa because it's saying you can never drink again he doesn't want to not drink again he tried a couple of alcohol coaches alcohol addiction coaches and he found that they were their journeys were almost always going through not drinking at all anymore and he found this whole consistent mm. message of don't drink. If you don't like drink, if you don't want to drink, then you can't drink anything. And what really yeah. helped him was hearing your message and knowing that, oh, wow, there's this guy who struggled with alcohol, set up a whole non-for-profit about it, and he still drinks. And he shares that he still has challenges with it, but it's something which he still wants as part of his life. And so ultimately these, yeah. these flaws you're talking about, yeah, yeah, he'll, he'll listen to this. I'm, I'm sure. And if, if that, if you're listening, you know who I'm talking to. Um, and yeah, it's simply because you're not squeaky clean and because you're setting up a, uh, more like not so much a facade, but more of a, of a truth of journey, which I guess is how Hello Sunday morning started either way. It was just your challenges. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like, and like I think, um, you know, I think sobriety is an illusion. Like I think even if you're sober from alcohol, you end up picking up other addictions to different things. Like, um, and you know, like I mean, absolute sobriety is an illusion. Like that we can live a life without um, being edged into different things that end up, you know, we becoming useful but then harmful. Um, and I think life is about trying to diversify those things to let go of the things that aren't helping us anymore and and know when we can and, and find the help to do it um and that is 
a lifelong journey. Um, and um, I 100% don't have the answers, but I do feel like the things that, um, or I hope that the things that I've created are helpful for people to ask those questions um, of themselves. Mm. And I'm happy with that. Yeah, okay. And although you're not just happy with that because you've got these big audacious goals which you wake up every morning to to face, right, and to focus on. Yeah, it's the same thing though. Like, built, So now I'm building this organisation called um, Clean Slate Clinic which is focused on an even pointier part of the problem which is people that are drinking at levels where they need to detox um, and need to go into to a clinically medicated detox because otherwise you can have um, withdrawals and it can be quite unsafe with alcohol or benzodiazepines, for example. Um, so we've taken this model and delivering it through telehealth so people can access it from their home rather than having to pay to go to rehab or hospitals to do it, which are really expensive. And so, um, yeah, starting again, small team, you know, We've detoxed our first hundred people. I mean, Hello Sunday Morning's got a community of a hundred thousand people. Yeah, you know, like it's much, it's, it's really big. Um, and now just starting again, like building the funding partnerships, building the little team, and yeah, like I see myself doing that forever. Just like finding a bit of the problem, applying my skills, building the team to do it. Hopefully, doing it better than the time I did it last time. But there's infinite issues out there um, to apply the same kind of approach and principle too. So that's what I do. And so with with that knowledge, and I mean, like, obviously it'll be easier for you the second time around because you've had all the experiences that you've had in the past and you've, uh, you already have a lot of the connections. That's pressure. That's pressure. Yeah, that's, yeah, there's a lot. That's like, yeah, you think like, I mean, if your listeners are like starting things up and it's hard, like the first one is really difficult. Like it's sort of, it is a learning curve. Um, but I think once, especially if you've done one, you prove yourself and it's sort of like, it's not, it doesn't matter if it fails mm -hmm. as much as the ones before. So there's less pressure and you have all these great networks and connections and skills and stuff. So, um, it's much more playful the second time around, um, than, having to prove yourself, you know, <laughs> like, um, so that's just fun. Like I really enjoy Imagine it. Imagine that like, like on any sport, like take tennis, for example, yeah, it's really, it's really shitty when you start because all the balls are going in the net or going yeah. way out or you can't even connect with it. But as you get that much better and you got the skills for it, it becomes more of a game that you can play, right? Yeah, totally. It's like, it's sort of, I guess the, the analogy would work in the way that like, you go from it's less it's like you know why tennis players um you know are really good at golf like their muscle memories or basketball players their muscle memories are so good like and so whilst it's a different game you still have that muscle memory of how to deal with things and it's going to be all right and like and so it's like going from one sport to another um and it's not it's not like you have to pick up all those that muscle memory skill all over again. It's so much kind of easier um, just to play, you know, like I think that's that's the kind of analogy that I would that sort of feels like. And so with that in mind, like what, what do you wish you could tell your younger self? If you could if you could chat with the Chris who's I know even maybe even ten years old or fifteen years old, what would you go back and tell him? I'd probably just give him a hug, to be honest. Like 
and just listen to what he has to say. Like I think that that would be. I don't think I would. I don't think I would change anything about my life and where it's led me and what I've done. Um, I don't have regrets in that way. Like I'd be. I think I'd just be really curious to understand his perspective on the world. Um, and where is that? Like I'd be like fascinated by it because. Uh, yeah, so I love talking to some of my like nieces and nephews, like and about their lives, and it's the same thing. I'm like, your, your that perspective is so um, fresh and unique, and so yeah, I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd say anything. I'd probably just listen. Beautiful. No, that's beautiful. <laughs> um, all right. Well, what I'll what I'll do because I'm mindful of time, and I know you got to go in a moment. Uh, but I'll give a bit of a summary for of what I've heard you share. Um, and then you can let me know if there's anything which you want to refine, correct, add to, sure. replace, whatever. So we started chatting about success and you were talking about how it's this daily thing. It's something which you're always doing. You've got to be content and you've got to be what's making you happy at every moment. You've got the depression. You've learned how, how to manage it. And so having a, I got, got the depression. The, you got it. I, I got, got it. it. <laughs> but but like you, you have depression, or at least you identify as having depression, and you've got your own your yes. unique yeah, mental yeah, landscape, yeah. right? And so you, it sounded mm-hmm. like part of your definition of success is uh, not having a down week for six months is a success. And yeah, or embracing the down embracing. week probably, probably just. Probably just understanding that it happens and embracing it would be like that's a that's a a small but very important victory okay. for embracing me. Embracing it when it's happening. That this too shall pass, right? So enjoy it while it's still there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and then we spoke about yeah. your relationship with yourself. Uh, you've identified or you hold a belief that life's worth sticking around for, and so you got to experience life when it's high, when it's low, and all of it. But it's not it's not just that that would give you enough of a drive you found that you need to have this purpose which like this big audacious goal i think you were saying like instead of one in 20 it's one in 100 of people who are suffering from addiction in in australia and that's an incredible goal and most people would be like no you've already achieved enough just just chill for a moment but that's what's actually key ultimately keeping you sane and your purpose is uh an expression of gratitude for the privilege and luck that you have uh, or that you've had in this world and so when we explored your journey, you grew up in Queensland, your parents were both doctors, they, mum had an abandonment issue, you inherited it, basically, you saw something similar as a result from your parents separating you. Obviously, they had, uh, like, they had other kids as well, all that kind of stuff all ended up happening. And you found that you had a lot of ego in all the work which you were doing, especially with what you were doing at Hell Sunday morning. And so... Now, instead of pushing away from the whole clinical side, because your parents were doctors and they obviously didn't have any, everything worked out, now you want to be able to work with clinicians uh, to build them up, make their work great. And everything ultimately is just another experience. You're still curious about different drugs. You're still curious about different experiences which you're able to have, and you're very honest about it. Uh, you don't think you'll ever be uh, in full sober recovery ultimately and because sobriety is just an illusion as you said and so absolute, absolute sobriety, sobriety is an illusion yeah sobriety is yeah. on absolute yeah thank you um and you 
uh, experimented with yourself the same way that you've experimented with drugs. You experimented without it and that turned into a blog and then that blog turned into other people also coming along with a blog and or sharing their thoughts as well and their story and it just snowballed into this amazing community. And mm-hmm. it just kind of progressed from there. And so when I tried to find out from you a very quick two-minute answer to what's the biggest challenge with reducing alcohol <laughs> intake? How can we solve this massive problem of our world? Like, well, it's an ingrained part of our society. So until we have systemic changes of what's a cultural norm and then also policy changes and support for both prevention and recovery, it's probably not going to happen. So, but for yourself per- personally, you can always just know that you can have faith, know it's possible. You got to be able to self-regulate and have mm-hmm. some sort of sense of self-responsibility and just be kind with yourself and just make sure you're not using mm-hmm. anything as a crutch, but still live a full life. Like what you're referring to with Robin Williams. Like we, it's easy to say, well, he killed himself. So no, he, can, he took his own life. So how can, how could he have lived a good life? But you gave a really beautiful perspective on that, mm. which is he, he lived more life than what most people possibly could have. And maybe his life was just spent. Yeah, definitely. And so you learn about leadership. Don't be offended by others shining as well. And we spoke a lot about your how you become a parent in every interaction. And you become a parent as a leader. You become a parent as a friend. You sometimes perhaps even become a parent to your parents in some ways. And you ultimately find that you can be that supporting pillar and also that nurturing force in people's lives. And you help people understand the changes which are happening in their life and just let them know that they're loved and they're worthy of, of receiving love, right? Uh, and I think the only thing which you really spoke about was um, how you kept it together for 10 years. And a big part of that was you're like, well, it started off really well. So when you start up nice and high, you got a long way to fall before you actually hit down, right? And, and you had an amazing business partner yeah. or an amazing partner who his strengths complemented your weaknesses and vice versa. And you were able to go through the succession process properly and do it well and be true to yourself rather than just pretending to be this squeaky clean, amazing person which has actually reached more people than what you probably would have done otherwise. And I think, I think you ended up totally. saying that if it was your younger self that you could see, you wouldn't try and tell them anything. You'd say, great, you can have all these experiences in life. Uh, but beside <laughs> that, you just listen to him, hear him out. They know everything's going to be okay. And yeah. find, be curious about his perspective of the world. Totally. That's a good, that's a good summary. I imagine you're good at doing <laughs> I've, that. I've had some practice by now. <laughs> yeah that's a good one i like it my thanks for having me on man thanks for being on and sharing your story really appreciate it i hope you enjoyed this episode of success with purpose and i also hope that you feel capable to apply some of the perspectives and learnings from this episode in your own life if you enjoyed this conversation be sure to like and subscribe below and until next time live with purpose